0: You're listening to Season 4, Episode number 2 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Matthew Ellison, President of 1615, and co-author with Denny Spitters of the book When Everything is Missions, a provocative title that challenges the Church to consider what she means when she says the word missions. So with that in mind, let's...
1: Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and
0: missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Last year, a book came out that uh, once I got a copy of it and read through it, I said, and I've never said this before, uh, at least I don't think I've said this before, and that is, uh, I believe this is a book that every North American pastor needs to to read within the next 12 months. Uh, the title of the book is When Everything is Missions, and it's co-authored by Denny Spitters and Matthew Ellison. And uh, one of the things that I'm excited about today in this episode of Strike the Match is Matthew is, is here with us as our guest, and we're going to spend some time getting to know him and getting to know a little bit more about this book. I think it's a very important book, and uh, I think it's going to to raise some some questions uh, in your minds that will be uh, beyond this podcast, but that's a good thing. It'll help us uh, start a conversation and keep the, the dialogue uh, going. So uh, Matthew Ellison is uh, the founder of 1615, where he serves as the president. And church missions coach. Uh, he lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He and his wife have three children, uh, ages 15 through 20. And um, uh, Matthew also uh, has experience as a pastor. He served as a missions pastor uh, with a church for almost 10 years. Uh, I've known Matthew for uh, well. I've gotten to know him better over the probably the past year, year and a half. But uh, at least known him for for a few years. And so thankful to have him with us today. So. Matthew Matthew, welcome to Strike the Match.
1: J.D., thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, friend.
0: So, man, the urban legend is that <laughs> in your background of innovation uh, and, uh, and efforts, you had something to do with bungee jumping at one time.
1: This is true. This is true. Uh, I started one of the probably you know initial bungee companies in the United States. I, I was jumping in Boulder, Colorado. And it was a great thrill, but what really got me excited was that people were shelling out about $100 a piece to bungee jump, and I I quickly did the math, and I thought, I got to get into this. I did the research. There was about 30 registered companies at the time, and so I jumped into the bungee business. (laughs) uh, We started in Albuquerque, which is uh, where I'm from. That's my home base, and we took it on the road. We went to festivals, fairs, things like that, spring break locations. It was quite a ride for sure.
0: Man, I tell you what, I can honestly say that you are the first person that I know of that's ever done that. And I may even say, I don't know, you know, people just don't reveal their bungee jumping activities to me that often, but you may be the first bungee jumper that I've ever known as well. Wow. Well, you know, uh,
1: you can come with me sometime. I've not jumped for (laughs) years, but if you're interested, I still know some locations where uh, bungee jumping towers and, you know, things like that exist. So let me know. We'll go
0: jump. I, 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 I don't have that much faith, and so um, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it to, to, to the professionals to do Okay, that. okay, great. So, so tell tell us about, uh, before we get into the book, uh, tell us about um, 1615.
1: Yeah, well, in, in case people are wondering, it's named after the reference in Mark's gospel, the Great Commission Reference, chapter 16, verse 15, Go into all the world, preach the good news to mm-hmm. all creation. And we really are a mobilization organization. We focus on local churches. And the reason that 1615 exists is because uh, we've been witnessing what I would call a paradigm shift in missions. And there's a growing wave of churches that I think are really rethinking how they do missions. They're moving from supportive roles to active roles. They're no longer content just to give money. You know, They don't wanna do missions by proxy. They wanna engage the gifts and the talents of their congregations. So what 1615 does is we come alongside churches, large and small, and we really help them understand uh, the biblical mandate to make disciples of all nations. We help them to develop an endemic vision that really accounts for their uniqueness as a church, and then we help them deploy that vision. So it is a great um, honor to serve the Bride of Christ in this way. We've been at it for 15 years, and by God's grace, we have worked with churches all over the U.S., and they are now deploying strategies all around the world. So... It has been um, just a joy.
0: Man, that is great. And so, so you do a great deal of coaching with these congregations as well, right? That's right.
1: Yeah, we connect with usually a, a grouping of elders, pastors, and missions leaders in the church, and we help them get on the same page and to really clarify their global vision and purpose. So, yeah, and it's all over the U.S. we're doing that.
0: Now, I know uh, related to 1615 is that uh, you're involved in something called the Mission Table as well. So can you give us a little bit of information on that?
1: You bet. In fact, you've been a guest on some Mission Table episodes, and we're still producing a few more with you on them. So, yeah, interesting story. Um, I was reading a missions devotional a couple years ago. It's called Gospel Meditations for Missions. It's, uh, uh, let's see. I think it's published by ChurchWorks Media. It's an incredible little 31-day devotion on missions. But on the very back, there was an endorsement from a pastor, and I can't even remember who it was, but he said that one of the reasons he thought many churches don't do missions well is because they've not thought about missions well. Hmm. And so that really stuck with me, and I found that to be true in our missions coaching experiences. When I come into a church, and again, we gather church and missions leaders, often there's great confusion about what missions is um, among the church and missions leaders. And so a lot of their missions actions and behaviors, I find, are, are based on half truths or assumptions, maybe cultural trends, maybe even prejudices or preferences. But it's really the, their missions strategy and, and, you know, again, decisions are not shaped by a biblical understanding of mission. So that really resonated with me. And I thought, it would be great to create a program that would gather leading missions thinkers, practitioners to the table, and we would simply tackle some of the most controversial, critical topics impacting missions today. So the Uh whole notion behind the mission table is we wanna move the conversation about missions. And uh, to be frank, we we wanna create tension in the hearts and minds of listeners so they can appraise, you know, are my missions decisions as as a church leader shaped by Bible or, or something else? So, uh, yeah, that's what that's all about, and and you've been a guest on several of those. In fact, you'll be a, a guest on three more that are still being produced right now.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, and I know this is kind of a selfish plug as well, but obviously I'm not on all of them, but I would definitely say to those of you that are listening, it's, a, it's an incredible resource, and I would highly encourage you to check out the mission table, uh, look and see what those video topics are listed there, use them to discuss. Start conversations with among your leaders in your in your churches as well. I think you'll you'll find them to be be very uh, very helpful. Uh, you you mentioned Matthew about uh, moving the conversation uh, forward. Um, I believe you and Denny Denny Spitters in this book uh, have definitely uh, done that very thing. You have definitely uh, stirred the waters, so to speak. Yes. Um, with this book, when everything. Is missions and so, uh, for those that are listening that it's not familiar with this book, uh, can you tell us what what's the whole purpose behind this this work?
1: Yeah, well, again, I've been at this for about fifteen years, a uh, church-based missions mobilization, and what I've encountered church after church after church is in incredible confusion, great confusion about the Great Commission. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll bring church and missions leaders together and and have dialogue about what missions is. And and there's often stifling disagreement in a church, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, generally, but in a single church, those leaders cannot articulate a a biblical, uh, a common biblical idea of what missions is. Mm -hmm. And and so I would say in a nutshell, we wrote the book uh, because of the confusion that we see about missions and because of the consequences that that confusion um,
0: brings about so so when you say confusion about missions uh, what what do you mean by that when you what, what's what is the confusion that exists out there? And I'm assuming you're talking about uh among u s churches
1: yeah, I think it goes beyond that, but I think it is you know probably predominant um in the west in the mm-hmm. west but um you know to, to answer that question I, I want to point out um and maybe some of your listeners have seen it, there was a Barna report that was just recently released. And I don't know the exact numbers. Denny could tell you the exact numbers. But what the report revealed is that evangelical Christians, about 50% of them, don't know what the Great Commission is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can't state what it's all about. And so, you know, missions has traditionally consisted of cross-cultural ministry to evangelize and disciple the world outside of our community and our culture, but today there's this idea that any good altruistic evangelistic work is considered missions, and so that broadening definition of missions that we see in this post-Christian era that we live in has led to this idea that every follower of Christ is a missionary, and every ministry done in Jesus' name is missions, and what we do in this book, J.D., is we explore. Are, are those biblical ideas?
0: Hmm. Is it biblical? So, so, so what, what you're telling us is that you do not believe um, going to another country and putting roofs on a building uh, is the same thing as maybe going to another country and planting churches. Yeah, that, that's true. When it comes to calling it missions.
1: That's right. I think we have to remember that our our mandate is to make disciples. That was the mandate. We see it five times, these five commissioning statements of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And see, of course, this thread through Scripture that God has been on mission all along to call out worshipers from all nations, tribes, and tongues. And we believe that is the leading edge of the Great Commission. Now, we're not suggesting that there is not a place for Good deeds, altruistic mm-hmm. work, mercy, compassion. This is all a part of the gospel. But if we do those and we do not proclaim the gospel, I don't believe we're doing missions. We're, we're doing good deeds. Again, there's a place for that in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. But there has to be the proclamation of the gospel. Absolutely. So, so
0: so, for churches, I'll just go back to my to my previous example. So for churches that are saying, hey, we, we've got a short-term trip coming up. Uh, and that trip is we're going to go to, you pick a place on the planet, wherever, sure. and uh, we're, going to, we're going to put a roof uh, on a school building. Uh, after that, we've got another short-term trip coming up, and again, pick the place. Uh, we're going to be involved in, in uh, doing evangelism and working uh, to plant churches. Uh, and we advertise those to our congregation, and we say, hey, these are two mission trips that are coming up. Uh, you all get on board. So you're saying that you have issue with the way we refer to those two trips.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be careful here. Um, I believe that there is absolutely a place. I mean, there's no question, right? I mean, the needs around the world are tremendous. Poverty, right. clean water, all of these things. And once again, they're a part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um And I believe that a cross-cultural opportunity where you come alongside a church and assist and help and serve, and maybe there are some work projects associated with that. I'm certainly not opposed to those things. There is a place and a role for that, especially if you're strengthening and building up the the local body of believers. But I I think when we divorce evangelism and gospel proclamation Mm -hmm. from missions— we're, one, I, I don't think we're we're following the pattern that Jesus gave us. We're following the mandate. But I also believe we're doing a great injustice to the world. Um, if we don't share the gospel, are we really being merciful? Are, are we really being compassionate? I, I believe that we're not. You know, it, it's word and deed. Um, mm-hmm. It's not either or. It is both and. and. And again, my concern is that we're losing the um, – the passion, we're, we're losing the vision to spread the gospel. And, and we see this reflected in real numbers, J.D. I mean, if you look at the giving to NGOs that are involved in mercy and justice, and once again, I'm not saying there's not a place for those things. Not right, at all, sure. it be clear. But, you know, the, the giving to those organizations is on the rise. Look at the giving to evangelism and church planning organizations among the mm-hmm. unreached. It's on the decline. And, and that is a problem.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're looking at you know five billion people on a planet of seven and a half billion people who have no relationship with Christ, and, and you know two billion, uh, never even heard of Jesus. And so, so there. Not only are those global realities massive, but you're right. Practically, we don't see our people and our financial, and I would say our time resources, uh, allocated heavily in that direction.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, um, I feel like I need to mention the Woodbury study that I know you're familiar with and maybe some of your listeners are as well, but he did extensive research. And what he found out is that these efforts that were focused on gospel proclamation, um, they brought the greatest social transformation. So um, again, I think we need to just remember the power of a transformed heart. I mean, it changes worldview. Um, Again, let me be clear, (laughs) I wanna be clear here. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying we shouldn't be holding out the cold glass of water and addressing needs of medicine, et cetera. We absolutely should, but we we can't divorce, again, and I see this, we can't divorce the gospel proclamation from those efforts. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, you said something a few moments ago that I have to go back to because I know the listeners' ears have been tickling. And that is, you made a passing comment. You said not everyone's a missionary. Mm -hmm. Now... I don't know about you, but I remember growing up, and I remember hearing pastors and Sunday school teachers saying to the congregation or to the class, you know, we're all missionaries. Uh, man, that's that's pushing against some of my culturally preferred values. Can you explain yourself there?
1: Sure. I, I would say not everyone's a missionary, and I would say the reason they're not is because the Bible tells us so. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I, I don't want to give just a pat answer here so let me explain this a little bit. The Bible makes it clear that every disciple of Jesus is to be engaged in the great commission so no one's exempt mm-hmm. from the privilege of participation in missions, participation in the family business. Um, I, I think you'd agree every disciple is to care for other believers right you believe that right
0: yeah
1: yeah but w- would you say that every disciple is a pastor or an elder?
0: Uh, no, of course not.
1: Right. They're they're not, of course, because there is a unique gifting by the Spirit. And it's not about ranks in Scripture. We see this. Uh, Peter even calls the um, elders in First Peter 5 fellow elders. It's not about a rank. It's about a role. And mm-hmm. so we would say that there is a distinct biblical role um, that's given to this idea that we call missionary. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you know this. The word missionary doesn't even show up in the Bible.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's very true. And, and so we... Get, very much a Latin word that uh, really didn't come into vogue until uh, work with the Jesuits in, uh, I believe it's the 16th century.
1: See what happens when you get online with a historian and talk to the here. <laughs> <laughs> you fill in the blanks for me, J.D. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we, we get our idea of missionary. Um, it's, again, Latin, but it's connected to um, a Greek idea of apostle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Bible speaks 136 times of apostles in the New Testament, and now for you listening, don't think capital A. We're not talking about you know the twelve and Paul. Think small A. Um, it's apostolos actually, and these are those who cross cultures with the gospel. And mm-hmm. it's actually translated "sent out one." And so we link missionary to apostle, which means sent out one. And course, and
0: I would also I'd also add on that. I mean, we see references throughout the New Testament to. Uh, people being identified as apostles that were not a part of the 12 and they were not Paul.
1: That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Now, Paul. I mean,
0: even Barnabas, even Barnabas is referred to as an apostle.
1: Great point. Those were the small a apostles. And Paul happened right. to be big a apostle and small a apostle. He was not mm-hmm. only an apostle um, and he, you know, um, one of the early church leaders, the foundation of the church, but he was a small a apostle. He was sent out with this ambition to take the gospel to all nations.
0: So. One of the things that I know we've talked about uh, before, in fact, I, th- I think it even came up in one of our uh, recordings with the mission table, uh, is is this very issue of our nomenclature, the the, the terminology that we're using today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm moving more and more in the direction of thinking that the word missions and missionary are are not very helpful. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah. There is so much.
0: Am I am I off track? I mean, I mean, no,
1: There is so much confusion as we've just talked about surrounding this. Once again, pointing to the Barner report, we don't know what the Great Commission is, and I think that has a lot to do with mission and missions. And I guess I would say um, the alternative would be to come up with new language. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, if you're going to call everyone a missionary, if, if that is so widespread that we can't fix it then we need to come up with a new term for a you know, global worker, a cross-cultural worker, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. But I wonder, maybe that's more work trying to come up with new, a new idea and educate everyone. I've I mixed feelings about that. Um, mm-hmm. what, what I'm really contending for, and Danny in the book, is we're not fighting for the word missions. We're not fighting for the word missionary. We're fighting for the concept of missions and the concept mm-hmm. of missionary. So I'm not opposed to the idea of coming up with new words, new nomenclature, but again, I wonder is that going to be uh, an exercise in feasibility? I, I don't have the answer, but for sure, we need to have this conversation. People need to be thinking about this.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like one of the things that you did, you guys did put in the book was you, you talk about. The, the uncritical use of words, uh, you know how we're using missions, missions, uh, missionary, missional things of that nature, and, and you talk about it having led to a distortion of Jesus's, uh, you know, biblical mandate. It's kind of created this everything is mission sort of paradigm. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate how you guys are bringing attention uh, to a word and a concept that has deep roots across the body of Christ throughout the world but you're calling us I believe in a way to to really think about what do we mean when we say this word or when we use this word
1: yeah that's right when I'm, again I'm going to draw from my coaching experiences here um, one of the things I say to them is you know you can ultimately come up with your own word you know w- whether that's for you know whether you call it local outreach local missions mm-hmm. global missions global outreach you're going to decide that But what's important is that when you convey those concepts to the congregation, they understand what you're saying, Mm -hmm. right? And again, I I want to contend that we need to preserve a place for the cross-cultural global dimensions of the Great Commission. And at the end of the day, J.D., what I believe is that when everyone's a missionary and everything is missions, that priority of taking the gospel to the nations gets obscured or totally lost that mm-hmm. that's my issue
0: yeah and i mean you also uh talk about uh in the book that whenever we do that uh the the unreached the unengaged unreached take a back seat to things that are just happening locally where there are plenty of churches and large numbers of evangelicals
1: yeah absolutely um You know, when you have a budget—let's just just talk about this for a second, okay? So uh, this is not uncommon. I work with many churches that have a missions budget. But because they don't have a a, a biblical grasp, again, of missions—and again, we're talking about the cross-cultural proclamation of the um, gospel—it becomes a catch-all for anything. Hmm. And so a church—you know, I might work with a church, and they say, "Wow, you know, we give 33% or whatever of our budget to missions— And as they stop and they really begin to think and look into Scripture and say, God, what is the Great Commission purpose you've given to your church? What Mm -hmm. is missions? What does the Great Commission's fulfillment require? And they understand that there's a distinction between reaching neighbors and nations, both important, both necessary for the life and the vitality of the church, but they're not the same. What they realize is that the lion's share of their missions work is spent on sometimes themselves, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or or reaching their neighbors where there is, you know, plenty of access to the gospel. And now they look and they go, well, well, only 2% or maybe 3% of our budget is truly going cross-culturally. And maybe even a smaller share is going to the unreached peoples of the world. So I think that's the outgrowth of everything is missions. I, I remember interacting with a pastor in Southern California. He said, my mission field is, um, You know, Southern California, and in fact, the community and city he was in, uh, part of the San Diego area, and he's he's right. That is part of his mission field, but he left off the nations, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's That's the outcome.
0: Yeah, I mean Zinzendorf, uh, you know, the the leader of the Moravian Church, uh, he he said that the world is his parish. Now, of course, Wesley took that and. Everyone thinks Wesley said it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you're right. I mean, even though I may be a pastor in Southern California or Birmingham, Alabama or Albuquerque, wherever, uh, and yes, that is, that is something that needs to be on my radar screen, we, we cannot forget about this thing called the Great Commission that has told us to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel to, to all peoples.
1: Absolutely. And and I want to share something here that I I think is often overlooked when we talk about this subject, and that is I I believe that we as the body of Christ, when we do not engage in the family business, which, again, is neighbors, it is also nations, Mm -hmm. when we don't do that in a holistic way, um, when we don't have the nations as a part of of that um, conversation and activity, we miss out because there is incredible vitality and life that God bestows upon his church when they align themselves with his efforts. And I've seen this time and time again. Um, churches that are involved in this great cause, man, joy just falls back on their head. So I, I would make an appeal. You know, if you're a listener and you're, your church is not engaged in global cross-cultural work or, or maybe it's minimal at best, there's joy to be had when you join the father in the family business of this work.
0: Yeah, I mean we we cannot divorce from our sanctification uh, the notion of making disciples of all nations. I mean for for us to think okay I'm growing in my bible study, I'm growing in my giving, I'm growing in worship attendance. All these, you know, things that are good things and important things that are part of our growth in Christ and we fail to think about you know the mission of God playing out in the world among those that are not singing his praises. Uh, we, we are cutting our legs out from underneath us. We, how can we speak of having healthy churches, being healthy disciples if we're not doing, doing that big task that actually, I would say, runs from Genesis to Revelation?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, pointing out the Revelation piece, I mean, that's the great end to which all of history is moving, J.D. That's it. If you want a glimpse into the future of where history is headed, it is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. And as the Moravians say, he's receiving the reward of his suffering. And what is that reward? It is the worship of redeemed people from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. So if that's the end, if we know through revelation that that's where we're headed, we should say, God, how do we line up our local temporary lives and labors with that? Mm -hmm. It's really about being in alignment with God. A friend of mine, Robertson McQuilkin, who's now in heaven, great missiologist, But he used to say, you know, do we not pray God make us more like you? Hmm. He said, is that not the heart cry of every son or daughter of the living God? And he said, you know, if we're going to be like God, the things that matter most to us, matter most to him, excuse me, Hmm. will not be in the margins of our lives. Hmm. They'll be part of who we are. So if we're gonna be like God, if we pray, God make us more like you, then we need to open ourselves up to the importance of this mandate to take the gospel to the whole world, not just our country.
0: Hmm. You guys are right. Ultimately our missions definitions will determine the missions culture of our churches. I mean that that is so true. I mean the 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 definitions by which we subscribe to the the words and the meanings that we teach to our people. Uh, that affects our strategy, it affects our value system, it creates an atmosphere, it, it creates an environment. And so how are we uh, teaching our people when we talk about this thing called missions? Uh, how are we communicating to our people when we talk about uh, what it means to be a missionary and who's a missionary? And, and to, to use th- that biblical concept of apostolic, what does it mean to be apostolic? I mean, that, that was a part of the reason, actually a big part of the reason why I, I, when I wrote my book on... Um, uh, church planting I called it apostolic church planting to 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 make a statement about about this understanding of uh, of, of this thing that we're talking about today uh, Matthew so if someone wants to get a copy of this book uh, I'm assuming they can just go to Amazon Barnes noble how they get a copy of it
1: yeah. Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, you can, um, visit, you know, I did this wrong last time. I think it's when everything is missions.com. I think it said it was org, but it is com. So when everything is missions.com, they can pick up a copy, Amazon, Kindle, um, Barnes and Noble. And then we're just actually producing an audio version. So it will be available on audible here, probably in about 10 days. Fantastic. And uh, Denny and, and I, um, actually read it ourselves it was kind of an interesting experiment so you get to hear the content read by the authors
0: wow how about that that's really cool so uh for those of you that are listening you need to get a copy of this if you haven't gotten a copy of this book when everything is missions you need to do that uh don't let it just sit on your shelf don't put it in that uh, pile of books that's already on your desk that's uh you know two feet high pastor and uh you know put it at the at the top of your list to read and, and use it. Use it as a conversation starter uh, with some of your leaders. Uh, talk to other people about it. Get the conversation going, because this, this book contains not only theological, missiological uh, concepts that we need to think about, particularly in the United States, but I know for those of you that are listening in other countries of the world, this has incredible value to you. Uh, in fact, in, in some ways, I think, depending on what part of the world you're in, it may even have more of a higher level of urgency to you than even what it does to my U.S. audience. But get this book, spend some time processing it, and then ask yourself the question, okay, so what next? So how do we respond? What, you know, Where do we move forward? Where do we go, go from here? Uh, my guest today on Strike the Match uh, has been Matthew Ellison. It's been great having Matthew with us, co-author of the book, When Everything is Missions, along with Denny Spitters. And uh, Matthew, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you online?
1: You bet. sixteen fifteen dot The numerals 1615.org. dot um, I'll even give out my email. Would love to interact with folks that would yeah. want to have this conversation, and they can link to my email off the website anyway. So it's Matthew Ellison at one six one five
0: M a t t h e
1: w. you Thank you. M a t
0: t h e w e l l i s o n at
1: 1615.org. So two Ts, two L's. You got it.
0: There you have it. Brother, thank you so much for being with us today, man. It's always a blessing to hang out with you and get to know you even more.
1: Yeah, likewise. God bless you, JD. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Strike the Match with JD Pain. You can find JD on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore pain. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next